Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information and advisory services partner for emerging market executives. We partner with business leaders at over 230 multinationals by providing them with information assets, advisory support, and consulting services that help inform and empower their strategies for outperforming in their high-stakes markets. The focus of today's podcast is FSG's 2018 events to watch. It's our annual flagship analysis of the key upside and downside scenarios that multinational corporations should be closely monitoring in the year ahead. This year's report highlights nine global events. My name is Richard Leggett and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group and I'm joined today by Antonio Martinez, FSG's Head of Global Economics. As a reminder, this research and all of our insights are available to FSG clients via our Frontier View platform. Antonio, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Rich, for having me. This is a super timely discussion as many of our clients are in the finalization of their 2018 strategic plans and building their execution models for the coming year. And we have a lot of ground to cover uh, over the next 15 to 20 minutes. So uh, if if okay, Antonio, I wanted to break the discussion into two main parts. First, I want to discuss the report itself, its purpose and methodology, and then dive deeper into the events themselves. Does that sound good? Perfect. All right, let's jump right in because we have a lot, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, Antonio, we produce several hundred research studies uh, and rapid response notes at FSG for our clients each year. In your words, how does events to watch fit into our research framework and how should clients best use this analysis? As you mentioned, Rich, we work with, uh, uh, let's just say, hundreds of multinationals every year. And we, we try to help with them with not only provide them with a kind of base case expectations of how, uh, basically how their markets are evolving and, and where we think that they're going to go over the next year. The events to watch uh, report fits into this framework by really focusing on the key risks, uh, whether upside or downside, uh, that could impact their basically strategic plans, planning, their uh, strategic objectives, their goals for the next year. And we you think we believe clients should leverage this document and leverage kind of a, the events that we profile uh, to ensure that uh, they're pressure testing the assumptions for their business plans. So while we're in, uh, towards the end of November, the process for this report actually begins in uh, the July timeframe. And I thought maybe you could take a, a couple of minutes and just describe the methodology for report uh, where you essentially whittle down hundreds of potential events and scenarios from all of the different regional practices to get to this list of nine. The process essentially begins with uh, well, a combination of a top-down analysis of what we've seen in terms of the major themes and drivers of uncertainty for our clients, but then also reach out to essentially our Latin America team, our Africa team, our uh, Middle East and North Africa, our APAC team, basically all of our regional teams, and understand and analyze what they perceive as the major risks for their markets and even at a cross-regional or global level uh, that are really mattering in terms of uh, that companies need to pay attention to and that they need to at least plan for uh, to a certain extent. And so we combine those together. We did whittle it down to a set of what we find systemically important and we do at the global level uh, scenarios or risks uh, and events. And we whittle them down this year to nine. Could be a little bit less, could be a little bit more, but essentially the ones that we believe will matter across a global portfolio. And the events, the nine events that we talk about today are global events, but there's also regional events that each of the regional practices uh, puts together. How should clients think about marrying these two together? 
Well, we believe uh, that it is important, whether you're the head of LATAM or the head of, uh, of APAC, to really focus on the events that, uh, uh, let's just say, are driven within internally within the region, whether it's uh, a, coup in, a military coup in one market, uh, a change in, uh, in policy or reforms in, in another. Uh, it's also important to kind of combine those with the global dynamics that essentially are the kind of uh, situations where companies have the least amount of control over, but could one way or another uh, completely shift the landscape for your markets in ways that if you're not paying attention to them, not just looking like focusing on your the key markets in your portfolio uh, could really basically catch you by surprise. That's a great segue uh, to uh, shifting to the events themselves. As mentioned, we highlight nine events. And, and Antonio, I, I think what's important for our listeners is that we don't uh, believe any of these events are in our base case scenario. These are all potential disruptors that we're going to talk about. Given uh, the time constraints we have, uh, we won't be able to go through all nine. So I suggest we dive a bit deeper into three of the nine, and then we can speed round the other six if you're up for it. Does that sound reasonable? Sounds perfect. All right. So let's start with the first event, which is a, a pretty significant one if it happens. It's labeled China Loses Control. What is what is this event in brief? Essentially, what the China Loses Control event is uh, what we might describe as the beginning of uh, the, what we could describe as the hard landing for China. And this is one where uh, we start seeing China, the Chinese leadership continue to delay reforms even after the recent uh, uh, I guess consolidation of control by uh, Premier Xi Jinping, uh, and that creates growing imbalances across uh, basically the uh, foreign exchange market, the local Chinese financial markets, the shadow banking sector, and we see the the over leveraging that has been the source of uh, let's just say uncertainty and disquiet really start ripping through the Chinese economy and creating a uh, crisis of confidence for uh, about China. And that's obviously would have ripple effects just across uh, not just the Chinese economy, but and across multinationals with, uh, as most of our clients with uh, significant operations in China, but would create really big implications from supply chain standpoint, from a commodity price standpoint, from an FX volatility standpoint. Antonio, this event has been on our list for, uh, in some form or fashion for the last several years. Uh, notably this year, however, the likelihood has increased a bit more to 35%. What, what's driving this change from prior years? And it, it, we've slightly increased it. I mean, it used to be around 35, well, 25% and then 30%, now 35%. I think the, what the biggest driver of this has been the paralyzation of reforms and really forward movement in deleveraging in a, uh, one can say, safe way uh, by the Chinese government of its economy. Uh, our fear and our base case remains that basically the government is still likely to muddle through on partial reforms, but uh, there's still significant uh, avenue for a significant for financial disruption. Um, and I, I think even despite uh, the fact that maybe this is not the top of the radar in terms of uh, news, financial newspapers, it is and should continue to be the biggest driver of concern for multinationals and probably the biggest potential driver of a global recession. All right. I want to turn to the second event, which is uh, also quite top of mind in terms of news cycle these days, and that's Korean conflict. You put that uh, likelihood at 25%. Obviously, a lot of global concern about North Korea uh, and a lot, of, a lot of news and a lot of information out there. Uh, could you put your frame on this event for us and what it means for multinationals in terms of their market potential and business operations? 
this is arguably the hardest of all the events for our clients to really wrap their heads around and really figure out what they, the implications are for this. Uh, our essentially view on the potential for escalating tensions on the Korean Peninsula is that uh, we see continued, uh, let's just say, belligerent actions by the North Korean government uh, that starts to essentially push, uh, let's just say, the Trump administration to, okay, say, implement uh, ever, ever more aggressive countermeasures. And if you count as well the China's, uh, let's just say, ambivalent role within this whole discussion, that creates uh, the potential for significant brinksmanship. And uh, if we start seeing that move from uh, what we've seen so far, which is just uh, escalation to actual armed conflict, then you're talking about significant dangers to global, uh, the global economy, uh, significant in many ways massive uh, financial vol global financial volatility, and for any business that has an important uh, amount, uh, well, some level of supply chain uh, integration with Northeast Asia, uh, this is going to be a a significant factor of uh, uncertainty and fear. Okay. And uh, at, at towards the end, we'll come back and we'll talk about actions that companies can be taking in terms of uh, planning for this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want our listeners to think we're not going to talk about implications and actions, but I, I think I'll, we'll do that kind of in a cohesive fashion at the end. But I did want to get through the next event. And I'm actually going to combine two of the events, Antonio, because I think they're related mm -hmm in some form or fashion. They're both trade-related events. And given the dependency that our clients have on trade, uh, I think it's probably makes sense to talk about uh, these in, in conjunction with one another. The first one, though, is uh, a U.S.-China trade war. And then the second one is uh, NAFTA exit. And both, obviously, uh, quite important to the global uh, trade dynamic. Um, I thought maybe you could talk uh, about each and, uh, and tie them together for us. Last year, we discussed uh, essentially one of the major fears for, for many of our clients, which is uh, basically a growing sense or a fear that the incoming Trump administration would create uh, or would pursue a line of significant protectionism. We called it Trump trade chaos. Now, the two biggest factors, and I would say these are not the only potential events that would uh, drive towards that result, but the two that have, uh, let's just say, stayed top of mind and we believe also would be have the most systemic impact on the global economy and on, on the performance of multinationals is on one end, uh, the potential for a U.S.-China trade war. Uh, again, although in recent months you started to see a little bit of a improved, uh, at least on the surface, relations between the U.S. and China, uh, under the Trump administration, one can also say that uh, the continued push uh, for protectionist measures hasn't gotten away. And if we start seeing a tit-for-tat situation between the U.S. and China, that is grounds for, let's just say, massive concern over the state and the future of the global economy, uh, given the importance of global trade and the importance of these two most uh, largest and most important uh, markets uh, at a global level. Antonio, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. but you, you put um, this one, the U.S.-China trade war, at 15 percent. There is some interconnectivity with the prior event we just talked about, the Korean conflict here, too, as well, right? Because absent uh, the, the escalations in, in North Korea, um, perhaps the Trump administration gets more aggressive on the trade issue with China. I would say these are very closely tied together. Um, although, again, I would also stress that uh, either of these can happen uh, without the other occurring. 
at the same time. But as you see an escalation in the, in the Korean conflict, you can see also a deterioration in U.S.-China trade relations. And you could have the worst of all worlds, which actually we profile very closely in our latest a Asia-Pacific outlook for 2018. Um, then that, and you combine both of those, and you are talking about potentially the most uh, deleterious impact here uh, on just about every multinational. Okay, sorry to interrupt, because I know you're about to go into the NAFTA discussion, also at 15%. Yeah, NAFTA, again, this is uh, one of those that has returned to the fore over the last four, few months as the, uh, since the start of negotiations in mid-August. Um, but one thing that has become clear is that the Trump administration is is pushing for uh, many measures, whether it's a five-year sunset clause or uh, stricter rules of origin that are making it uh, making the future of NAFTA, putting the future of NAFTA very much into doubt. Um, although our expectation is that not that you'll see what we call in a true NAFTA exit rather than just an announcement of a NAFTA exit, but one with actual tariffs in place. If you were to start seeing that, then you are talking about not just a significantly negative result for Mexico and to a much lesser extent Canada, but really an incredibly large a driver of uncertainty around global supply chains that uh, will reverberate far beyond North America. Uh, so both of these, even though they're only around a 15% probability, companies, and again, when we're talking to executives and we're talking to corporate worth, these are certainly and not very far from the top of the list of uh, of risk to monitor. Yeah, and that's why we highlighted these as kind of top of mind topics. But there are five other events, and I thought maybe we could quickly shift there for a speed round uh, for those five events. Uh, so for each one of these, uh, uh, if we could maybe just a quick explanation and uh, a couple of, of key, key uh, headlines, Antonio, that would be helpful. So uh, let's start with um, an event that uh, you label Cyber Warriors Target Business, and you put that at 25% probability. So Cyber Warriors event, and again, everybody, every company that we work with is to some extent or another at least somewhat concerned about cybersecurity, especially after we've seen the last, over the last year, uh, kind of an escalation in many, of, in, in at least a few targeted markets, including Ukraine um, and obviously the United States. Uh, our fear is that you actually start going from one-off cyber attacks to something closer to a, a full-scale targeting of companies and multinationals particularly across different, uh, whether you call it social, political, or, or security con or con uh, focused conflicts across uh, uh, basically across the globe. If you start seeing much further movement on this, uh, you are going to start seeing uh, significant disruptions to global trade and even global commerce as a whole. And that is something that uh, companies need to be prepared for, um, although it's certainly not our base case at this point. Okay. Next one, and I shudder saying these words, Eurozone crisis renewed. We just got out of the Eurozone crisis. This one you list at 10%. What I, what I always tell the clients is that when you're looking at the Eurozone, even though the short-term economic outlook is actually on a positive view as we've had in several, almost almost a decade, um, you still have a very weak banking sector. You still have uh, several countries where the politics uh, could significantly deteriorate, uh, particularly Italy, but also Greece uh, over the coming year. Uh, and even though our expectation is not for a, a relapse into crisis uh, driven by politics uh, next year, every company needs to be aware that uh, the Eurozone's recovery it remains fragile. 
Yeah, and I think if anything underscores that, it's the it's the situation in Germany right now in terms of forming forming a coalition government, which has not happened. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, next one, also sticking in the euro uh, zone area, is Brexit canceled, and that one's a ten percent uh, probability as well. Talk talk a little bit about the like uh, about about this and its likelihood. So, as we know, base, uh, Brexit is slated for basically the. the 2019. Um, but uh, as the situation has unfolded and as negotiations have yet to turn uh, very productive between the, the UK government and the uh, uh, the European Union. Uh, the basic point here is that uh, we can easily see public opinion start to shift in the UK. We could see early elections in the UK, um, and you could see uh, a change in expectations or even a desire to actually pursue Brexit. Again, this is one of those events that went from inconceivable six months ago, be- particularly before the UK elections earlier this year, uh, to now conceivable. And I think today we'd still give it around a 10% probability. Uh, but it is one where companies, let's just say, would, for the most part, uh, breathe a sigh of relief if this were to occur. I know we would, that's for sure. All right, let's, uh, two more to go. One is, and they're both oil related. So the first one is uh, an oil supply shortage. And this, again, I think it's been on the list for two years in a row now, uh, 15%. Talk a little bit about this one. Um, what we can see here is that there are many countries that we would describe kind of at the second tier uh, oil, produ- oil producers, some in OPEC, some outside of it, where the potential for significant volatility and even for um, deterioration in supply uh, is very, very real. And this is as much countries that are top of mind, such as Venezuela or even Iraq, but also looking at markets like Libya and Nigeria, where all of these with the, the high potential uh, for political volatility or uncertainty over the next 12 uh, to 15 months. Now, now it's important to note that uh, our expectations of the impact on oil, on oil prices is not as high as it was last year. It's still a potential, uh, it, it, it's a negative impact on the 28, uh, 2018 outlook for these markets, uh, but it is one where we still believe the companies need to be paying close attention to. Okay, and also on a related note, uh, the final event is OPEC, uh, OPEC deal dismantled. And that one actually has a, a pretty high probability relative to these others at 25%. Talk a little bit about that. What we see in the OPEC deal dismantled is one scenario where uh, OPEC and Russian producers basically continue to face political or face greater political and economic pressure to increase oil production, um, and you start to see a breakdown in the agreement. Now, the, the OPEC-Russia agreement is slated to end in March. Most of our base case expectations are that it will be uh, prolonged. The question becomes, though, if one or two countries are the ones really doing the most uh, uh, most of the work to doing the cuts, um, how sustainable is this? And do we see this as one potential that could uh, bring us back to $30 per barrel oil, uh, as we saw only about a year and a half ago? Okay, that's great. Antonio, um, uh, just kind of as a final broad question, I wanted to ask you to share what actions you are uh, recommending to our clients that they take and also the response that you're getting from clients in terms of the actions that they are taking as they consider uh, these potential global disruptors, as well as uh, depending on where their portfolio is weighted, the regional disruptors as well. 
I think one thing that we have been hearing from most of our executives, and even though there is a certain amount of growing optimism, at least from corporate centers in terms of where the global economy and obviously for the global business environment is moving, that the importance of pursuing and implementing contingency plans uh, uh, from the point of view of not just in terms of assessing the, the potential disruptors, prioritizing those disruptors, and finally actually creating a plan uh, for reacting to this, uh, both at the, well, at both at, at all the levels, basically from corporate to regional to country teams, um, is top of mind and should continue to be part of the conversation. But we're also seeing a lot of focus on scenario planning uh, for, for over the next year. Uh, and obviously, they want to be able to tie uh, the targets, the initiatives, and progress on those initiatives, obviously, to their internal drivers uh, or internal capabilities, but also with a clear guidance around what are the assumptions around the external environment, are they still relevant, what would happen if trade uh, trade risk or if security risks or if one of the key markets like China uh, were to suffer a massive slowdown. Those are things that we still think we're still seeing companies uh, implement and focus on, and I think that's what we, we continue to recommend as you go into a 2018 that, uh, let's just say, where the major risks are still very, very active. Yeah, and I think the report does a nice job of providing not only a description of the events, but also uh, talking about the, impa uh, the impact to market potential, the impact to business operations, providing a base case, a downside, an up case, upside case, and signpost to monitor, uh, which allows uh, for a framework for that scenario and contingency planning, uh, as well as we also provide actions and implications. So I think it's a good framework to start with, and that can be tailored accordingly uh, for each company's unique situation and portfolio. Um, Antonio, uh, uh, I think we're up against time. Uh, I did want to remind our listeners that our base case scenario for 2018 does indicate a broad-based, uh, if, if albeit a somewhat fragile global economic recovery, but that the use of this, uh, this, these events and, and our scenario planning uh, approach is to help uh, mitigate the risk from potential downside risks. And so um, we encourage everyone to uh, read the analysis in depth, schedule individual briefings with our team, uh, or in incorporate our team into some leadership meetings for briefings, uh, which is all part of our service. Um, Antonio, thanks so much for the excellent and insightful discussion. Um, and as a reminder, FSG clients can speak to Antonio or any member of the FSG Global Research Team at any time by scheduling uh, via your client relationship director. And then all of FSG's research, award-winning frontier data, curated analyst current events insights, and other contents available and always updated using FrontierView dashboards, which is included in the FrontierView platform. For now, this concludes our podcast. We wish you great outperformance across your high-stakes markets. 